Welcome to this season two episode of the Me Sweet podcast. I'm your host, Donna Peters. I am a career coach for people who want a life, who want to live with what I call a Me Sweet mindset. Just like leaders in the C suite, we need to do three things well in our own personal lives. First, letting our personal core values guide our decisions. Second, keeping our day to day life running smoothly. And third, staying fresh and relevant for the future that we wish to have. Here, our guests balance the aspirational with the practical by sharing tips on what we can start doing differently on Monday to lead our lives with a me sweet mindset. The number one thing I've learned is that people are amazing if you give them a chance to tell their unique stories. So let's get in there. On this episode of The Me Suite, we are going to be interviewing a serial entrepreneur who has the experience of finding problems, solving problems, spinning off businesses, and moving on to the next thing. So a really exciting career and also a very reflective person. His name is Julian Emery, and I am thrilled to have him in The Me Suite today to talk about his professional and personal experiences. Welcome, Julian Emery. Thank you, Donna. Thanks for having me here. So, Julian, we're going to take this in so many different places. You're just extremely interesting. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you have underneath your title, Learning and Building. Correct. I was wondering if that might show up in your core values. Can we start there? What are your core values and how do they guide all these important decisions that you're making in your life? Yeah, great question. I love that you noticed that because I had never put two and two together and realized those were connected. Interesting. (laughs) If I think about my core values, There's a lot of values that resonate with me, but the top three, I would say, are curiosity, Mm -hmm. growth, and empathy. And so learning and building, now that you mentioned it, is is really in that curiosity and growth area for sure. Yeah, those are the three that I think I have lived the closest by, and, and curiosity helps me uh, one, I just get super curious about all kinds of things. I love, I love, I pull on threads and go down rabbit holes all the time. And I just find extreme joy in learning with no real purpose of the learning. Yeah. <laughs> growth, I find that there's so many opportunities for growth. There's so many things that I know I can be better at. And the feeling that you get when it, when you know you've improved at something. Mm. I just love that feeling. Whatever that is in your life, there's so many aspects in your life that could apply to. Mm -hmm. And and empathy is is big for me because in a professional setting, I've always been customer-facing or uh, building products and products are for customers. And so even if I'm on the more technical side helping build something, I lean into customer conversations and trying to understand like what, what problems do people actually have and can we actually build something to solve those and then on the personal side, I think empathy is just really helpful in, in fostering and building more meaningful relationships if you, mm-hmm. if you approach those relationships with a high degree of empathy. Well, I imagine because you are an entrepreneur and I think you've achieved what anyone by any measure would call the highest levels of success as an entrepreneur. So congratulations on all of that. It's really, really quite impressive. But you're a problem solver, Right. As an entrepreneur. And so I would suspect that empathy is really, really important in your line of work. It makes you a better listener rather than falling in love with your own idea and the hammer looking for the nail. You're you're starting outward with the problem and working your way backwards. 
it's funny you say the highest level of success. I just feel like I've barely scratched the surface. There's so much more that I want to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the empathy is, is absolutely, uh, I think it's important to fall in love with a problem and mm-hmm. fall in love with the problem and the people who are having that problem. Because if you have a deep connection to that problem and the why behind that problem and what the world might look like if that problem was solved and how those people's lives might change and how that mm-hmm. might affect you personally, knowing that you've been helpful to those people, then you can really, you feel motivated and 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 feel like you're on a mission to really, to build. It, it's much more mm-hmm. empowering than building something or starting a business for the sake of money. It's It's more around trying to leave the world a better place if you can. And I know that's sort of cliche and and maybe sounds like pie in the sky, but I think if you you can foresee a, maybe not a direct line, but a meandering line that has some light at the end of the tunnel to making life better for some segment of the population, I just think that's way more energizing than, mm-hmm. than just building for the sake of money or whatever other means. Yeah. So tell the listeners about the most recent business that you had and the problem you were solving. And that was the business that you had sold. And now you've moved on to something else you may not be able to tell us a lot about. I appreciate that. But give the listeners a little bit of a flavor for where you've been. Yeah. So the recent company I was involved with, and this one was incredibly mission-oriented for me because we realized that uh, so we were selling software um, to uh, insurance brokers, self, mm-hmm. just health insurance benefits advisors, brokers, and uh, we were making it easier for them to uh, consult with their employers on the right type of self-insured health plan. So a lot of okay. companies in the United States are self-insured. One of the benefits, one of the major benefits really of being self-insured is that you can actually negotiate the price of healthcare and you have much more flexibility around how to negotiate contracts with hospitals and how you source prescription drugs and and all sorts of healthcare goods. And so we figured, well, if we could index this variability and if we could look at all the different healthcare providers and different networks of providers and different types of contracts with providers, uh, you know, hospitals, doctors, pharmacy benefit managers, drug manufacturers, if we could if we could identify where there were opportunities to get the same level of care mm. or better uh, as defined by industry standard outcomes measurements for given procedures, if we could identify places to get the same level or better care, but at a lower price through a better business agreement, then we would put that under the hood of a health plan, a self-insured health plan. Because if you're self-insured, the employer basically is the insurance company. Yes. And so we said, look, if you're going to be the insurance company, you have the right to set up what goes under the hood of that insurance plan. So if yeah. we could make it easier for you to do, and if you look at big companies like, you know, Verizon and, and Walmart, like they've got healthcare teams that are changing how healthcare gets purchased under their plan. And we're saying, okay, well, if that's best practices and they're doing a lot of innovation around this. Can we use technology to make all of that analyzing and decisions around contracts much more automated? And if we can do that, then smaller companies and smaller brokerage firms that are serving these companies, if we could make it so they could spend the same amount of time going through that level of analysis and delivering a better outcome to their employers, well, then that yeah. would mean that would mean better access to healthcare, better outcomes at the same or lower prices. 
And if we can do that at the same or lower prices, that means lower deductibles for individuals and their families, more money in their pocket, higher salaries. And so to us, that was an incredibly meaningful mission. Healthcare is expensive in this country, regardless Mm -hmm. of who's paying for it. Yeah, Uh, There is some variability depending on who's paying for it, but there's just a lack of transparency. And so we were saying, if Mm -hmm. we could open up and make this more transparent and make it, it already is editable, but if we could make it easier to edit it, we can use software to do that editing, Mm -hmm. then we could show long-term cost projections more accurately. So anyway, yeah. I, you could tell I was very Passion. passionate about this space and um, am happy that the company is still on and serving yeah. customers and, and employers and in good hands. And, and I've decided to move on to the next thing. Very exciting. And I think any listener appreciates the complexity that you were trying to find a solution for. And extremely timely. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so thank you for that. And as you mentioned, you've moved on to the next thing. What I found very interesting when I first had a chance to meet you is you had mentioned the role that external advisors and coaches have had in your life. When people look at people like you, successful entrepreneur, seemingly in complete control of your future, achieving successes on lots of different dimensions, they sometimes get surprised to hear that people like you have been leaning on coaches. What can you share with us about the role that coaches have played in your life? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, And I'm a big believer in coaching. And Mm -hmm. it started for me because my background is... I've had a very meandering path in my career. And I I love that I have. I think I've learned a lot of lessons. But Mm -hmm. one step along that path was... In my childhood and uh, up to early 20s, uh, I got a chance to play hockey professionally. So I was a professional ice uh, hockey player for a short period of time, played high-level junior before that. And I didn't go all the way to the very top or anything, but I played at, at a high level. I got paid to play a kid's game, which I thought was fantastic and a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. And, yeah. And, and what was interesting is when I entered the corporate world, so I, I, when I Stopped playing hockey and back to university, and, and then uh, entered the the corporate world. And I, I even I had a company in university, and then joined another company afterwards. I went to the founder for help, and then he convinced me to join his company, and uh, <laughs> which was a great decision. But that was the first time when I joined his company. That was the first time it was like you know a real job in a real world, and it was mm. a venture backed company. We were 15 employees. We scaled up to eventually over a thousand employees and, and really went through a lot of hyper growth. And there was so much on the line. And I look back at my professional career and I'm like, okay, I had I had a head coach of my hockey team. I had a strength yeah. and conditioning coach. Yeah. I had a mental coach for just yeah. training, like how to train your mindset. Like we'd do meditation, we'd we'd go through visualization training. We had nutrition coaches come in and help us. Yeah, We had skills coaches. So the, I had a team of coaches around me all the time. And you'd think like, oh, you reach a certain level in sports. Like, obviously, you're better than so many other people. Like, why would you need coaches? But in sports, like, the top of the top have more coaches, not less yes. coaches. The yes. better you get, the more coaching you get. And I don't think you can even reach that level unless you recognize... And, and are continually learning about your flaws. And we're all flawed. We're all human. Yeah. We're all flawed. And so it's, it's this, this process of searching and trying to improve. And it was so odd to me that mm-hmm. I'm now in this world where the upside, frankly, for a lot of the stakeholders was far greater than what the vast majority of professional athletes could ever make. Uh-huh. And 
And we had no coach. I was just thrown into things. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, you're personable. Go do that thing. <laughs> and I started reading a lot of books about... And, and fortunately, I had leaders in the company that coached me unofficially. And I, I sort of forced them to coach me by asking them for advice all the time. Yeah. And I started reading a lot of books just about coaching and about uh, specifically the concept of deliberate practice and how that can be applied to you know, discrete skills and skills that involve uh, all skill or some degree of luck. And how is that different? I, I just tried to learn about this. And then a little later in my career, when I, when I started a company for the first time, and then all of a sudden I had venture capitalists that have given me a bunch of money. And, I, and this, this thing had always been on my mind of like, I know I'm not good at a lot of things. And yeah. some of that's okay, but some of that's not okay. Mm. And how do I improve? And how do I understand what I'm good at, what I'm not good at? And I distinctly remember we were sitting at a cabin in Lake Tahoe and I was with uh, one of my investors and board members and him and his firm had just written a pretty large check into our company and was now on my board and mm-hmm. we'd been getting to know one another. And I, I, I told him this, I'm, I'm like, why? Like, why? Like, the upside is so big. I come from this, this sports background. Like, why don't I have a coach? And he was thinking the same thing because he also was given a whole bunch of responsibility to deploy capital and was managing a lot of money. And we both agreed on this. And so they actually did uh, a poll of, they they polled a whole bunch of top VC firms in Silicon Valley and they wanted Mm -hmm. to understand what percentage of CEOs have have coaches. And he realized that uh, in their portfolio, they were actually, I think it was like 13 or 14% of their CEOs had coaches at that time. Yeah. But on average, a lot of other portfolios had, you know, 70 or 75%. So the, the, un, the, the sort of big secret in mm-hmm. at least sort of high growth potential tech startup land is a lot of CEOs and founders have coaches. And I was yeah. like, why don't I have one? And my <laughs> wife had worked with a coach during her career as well. And mm-hmm. I was really open to the idea. And it was hugely helpful, but it wasn't just the CEO coach. That just kicked off like, I need more coaches. And my wife had worked with a a career coach in the past who she thought was really good at at communicating or just helping with communication. Mm -hmm. And we had done a few sessions actually before we got married, just as like, hey, we should, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Like maybe we can try to beat that average. And why don't we start learning how to communicate before it's a problem? (laughs) And so we had done a few sessions and then we started to do that much more regularly. So we now have a regular session with our relationship coach just to help us work. To, even if there's no issues, like we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll dig in and find things. We used to do that at least quarterly. Now we live and work together and at home in a pandemic. And so it's like every two weeks. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and then, and then I, I also, when I, my company got acquired and I decided I didn't want to join the acquirer and I was wondering what to do next. I also hired a career coach just to help me think mm-hmm. through and put more structure around what types of things I want to do and help me uncover those. And then I also started running, um, I say competitively, but competitive with myself. It's not like I'm winning any races. Oh, nice. I like doing things with the goal of, of not just doing them at an average level, but I'm like, how, mm-hmm. how do I get better at something? So when it comes yeah. to exercise, I get more motivated if I'm like, oh, I need a goal. So I, I decided to run a 50 kilometer mountain marathon race. So 30, oh my gosh, just 52 kilometers, so 33 miles or something. And, and I ended up loving it. And then I hired a running coach. I was like, hey, I want to do longer. <laughs> and so now I meet with my running coach every two weeks and she, she creates training programs for me and we chat about how I'm feeling and what I should be doing. And I just think it's so important to, if you can and where you can, and there's a lot mm-hmm. more resources, I think, online. I think I'm blessed to be able to afford to hire coaches um, 
but a lot of people can't. But I think yeah. there's also more and more online content and like this podcast. And uh, I think you can start to access these things. There's a lot of amazing books. And I just think we are flawed humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're a human, that almost by definition means you have some flaw. And I feel like it is part of growing up is is understanding the things I always go back to the fundamental, like what are the narratives that run in your head and how does that control your life and where do those oh, narratives yeah. come from and 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 how does that influence how you're showing up in the world? I've got these weird belief systems that yeah. I didn't even recognize and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, like that's holding me back a lot more than it's helping yeah. me. I need to update that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll teach you a phrase if you haven't heard it before in brain-based coaching that's called a self-limiting belief often. If there's a a narrative that might be keeping you or holding you back from something, it's called a self-limiting belief. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Self-limiting beliefs. (laughs) Right. Yeah, this is amazing. I do believe that finding the right coach, there's a fit element to being in the most effective coaching relationship. Is there a certain filter that you use in a way to decide, is this going to be the best coach for me for this particular need? Or do you just go with your gut and it's an intuitive feeling? How do you assess coaching fit when you're in the market for a coach? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a perfect framework on that. Yeah. I've gone a little more gut feel like, do I click with this person? Do I have yeah. chemistry with them? Do they have a good understanding of the situation that I'm trying to get help in? Mm-hmm. My running coach is an example. She, to this day, is the course record holder for the Western States 100-mile race, which is Dang. like North America's World Series of trail running races. Wow. She's a female course record holder and just a phenomenal running athlete. So I'm like, okay, you've been in a lot of situations that I haven't, and I would like to get maybe not all the way there, and I don't want to hit any course records, but I want to run longer. So anyway, that that was sort of a filtering process of trying to find someone who had these experiences of yeah. going through stuff like that. And with the CEO coach, it was sort of people that had coached, and there's, there's people I didn't go with because I, I thought they didn't have as much experience understanding and dealing with the dynamics that I was dealing with. Like right. when you're managing, you're managing these different constituencies of, of shareholders who've invested capital and your employees and your customers. Like yeah. sometimes those things don't all line up. The interests don't always uh, all line up and mm-hmm. balancing those different stakeholders and trying to do right by people is, I, I wanted someone who understood those dynamics because right. those are sometimes the trickier situations and even interpersonal conflict within teams. And then our relationship coach, yeah, she was by referral because my wife had used her and we did a few sessions just at the part of her sessions. And and I thought she was just really phenomenal at at getting at root, honestly, self-limiting beliefs or, Mm -hmm. or patterns or helping us communicate in ways that weren't destructive and in ways that allowed us to recognize each other's uh, truths and and honor those truths and yeah. then figure out how to work forward. And I just thought she was very good at facilitating those. We started working more with her. Mm-hmm. I've looked for, yeah, kind of chemistry click and experience with the types of situations yeah. I'm trying to get help in. Yeah, it, I was reflecting on my own. It's somewhat similar. I have a I guess a trainer, but a trainer is a coach, like a a workout Mm -hmm. trainer. I have a nutritionist coach. I had a career coach, and I'm thinking about how how I chose them. And it's it's a combination of I I I wanted to feel that they had walked much farther in those shoes than I had at this time. Whatever those shoes were, I wanted them to have walked further in them. Exactly. (laughs) Than I had yet, 
And then just that, that click of, uh, do you have my best interests in mind? Yeah. That it's not a competition. It's, uh, do you have my goals, best interests in mind? And I think that comes down to some sort of intuition. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I guess, and the fact that no decision is irreversible. Totally. Right? If, if, if you launched you into something. You can try something, it out for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Try it out for a little bit. So I like in the me suite to have my guests share advice for listeners of some tip that you think we should start doing differently on Monday, aspirational, but practical. My advice, and this has been a realization in my own life, mm-hmm. I think the most important thing we can do is to recognize those, what you got called self-limiting beliefs. So I, I call mm-hmm. it the narratives of the software running in your head. Yeah. So we are hardware and we have software programs. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that it's mm. actually software, which by definition means you can change it. And mm. we don't know where they come from. We don't realize they're actually put there by society, our parents, our friends, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think on Monday or even before Monday, mm-hmm as soon as possible, I mean, just writing down the things that, like, what holds you back from taking action on things? And usually when you start pulling on that thread, it's some sort of fear that you haven't identified as a fear. Mm -hmm. And then you ask why, and you realize, oh, I have this belief about the world that I didn't even really recognize. And I think the faster that you can really understand those and just acknowledge their existence the faster you can then do work on changing those and and updating them to fulfill whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And I think that's the most important someone could sit down and do on Monday. It's just what are your fears and what stories are you telling yourself that create those fears? And just start there. You can work on updating them later. Just know that they're there. Yeah, I love the hardware software analogy. That really works for me. (laughs) So... Thank you, Julian Emery, for sharing your thoughtfulness, self-reflection, vulnerabilities. It's very, very helpful for listeners, and I appreciate you giving us a little peek into your brain. This is Julian Emery, everyone. Thank you for having me here. Subscribe to the podcast and give us five stars if you like what you're hearing. And learn more about the MeSuite career coaching and professional development at themesuite.com. It's the-me-suite.com. Suite is spelled like executive suite. This is Donna Peters, and I thank you for having me in your ear right now. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. The Me Suite, a source of power for the life-minded.